Thank you, Andy, and good morning from me. So there it is again. Uh, Jesus uh, makes sense of everything in John 1, 1 to 14. Um, oh, I've got to move this out the way because um, uh, the camera blocks some of those amazing um, artistic uh, thingies on the wall. No, letters. These things are written that uh, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you and me may have life in his name. And that's what Andy's just read. So we're to come alive more than ever this morning, uh, what we hear. I don't know if you've ever done a maths equation, got it right, and then been deeply convicted of sin. Have you ever done that? No? Oh. oh yeah. Like you, you realize you're tapping into like a standard that can't be broken. You're like, my goodness, my life is such a mess compared to this perfect standard that the numbers have just displayed to me. And then you all repent and turn to Jesus. You haven't done that with like a Sudoku or something like that? Well, we should. Um, and that should make a bit more sense in the next few moments. Um, I don't know what your view of God is. Well, I know what most of your view of God is here, but maybe you're listening at home. Don't know. We've all got one. If you could give a name to your view of God to describe him or her or it, what would it be? Just take a few seconds to think about that. What would you name your God? A descriptive name. Well, the God of John and Moses, from whom he's borrowing here, John 1 is uh, the same as Genesis 1 in many ways, they name their Lord the Logos or the Logic or the Logoi, or the standard, or the word, or the blueprint of everything. That's what they call the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you go to Highfields Church, there's a man there called Jeff, and he's an elder there. And in the early 90s, Jeff tutored me because I was a naughty boy, and I didn't listen in Tonneroo in school. So my parents sent me to Jeff for extra tutoring so someone would teach me something. And Jeff's report to my parents after months was this. Owen is a lateral thinker. Which was Jeff's polite way of saying, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. And he's possibly dull. He's a lateral thinker. And what he went on to say was, sometimes Owen gets the same conclusion as everybody else, but gets there a very strange way. And my dad said, that's funny because his mother does that as well. So, and sometimes, if you ever met my mum, no one knows what she's talking about, but she sometimes gets to the same place as everybody else, just in a very different way. And apparently, I've inherited that trait of lateral thinking. Now, all these random thoughts should come together in a moment, by the way. Just bear with the lateral sermon. But um, today, though, in school, well, in uni as well, when I was in Swansea, like... They don't even worry about getting somewhere sideways anymore. At the moment, there's a belief that even when you arrive at a conclusion, it doesn't really matter, which is really odd. It's not so much about how you get there. Now, there's a prevailing idea that even if you get to truth, it's probably not even true, and it's just up to you what you think things are. So even the journey getting there is sidelined, so it wouldn't even matter that I was a lateral thinker. Now, if I ever said something dogmatically true, you're taught, well, actually, there's no real dogmatic truth. You may have come across that. It's quite prevalent. Uh, what's the meaning of this book? Uh, 
doesn't matter. You just say, and it shall be. Have you come across that sort of teaching? Um, who's God? Don't know. It's fluid. Whatever you want. Even if you all conflict with your ideas, it's okay. It's whatever you want. There's no objective logic. Um, who am I? Don't know. Doesn't matter. Make it up, and it shall be. Where am I going? Don't matter. Make it up. You'll be okay. Um, who should I date? Doesn't matter. Your call. Do whatever you like. Up to you. Well, John chapter 1 uh, presents us with a very different view of life to that. And we have here God. But he's not called God here. He's called the logic. Uh, well, and God. He's called a person and God and logic and word and truth. He's called basically the blueprint of meaning, logos. Elsewhere, this same Lord is called the one that holds all creation together, the designer. So for John and Moses, all of those questions like, who am I? What should I do? How should I live tomorrow? What should I wear? What money should I spend on where? God, their God has the answers. Where am I going? Well, their God is logic. And we're introduced to him. Their God is law, word, truth, standard. That's what that means. Um, now, if you ever come to our Thursday class or tuned in uh, online, sometimes we think about numbers, which is the opening part of you ever done a maths puzzle and being convicted by sin, because numbers are really fascinating, and they're linked to Genesis 1 and John 1. There's an idea today that your neighbors might believe, or even some of your family members, that the dominant meaning and force behind everything are the laws of nature. You heard that statement? Yeah. Not God. No, the logic behind everything are just laws of nature. And I've got a few books written by people like um, Richard Dawkins that you might have read, and he says statements like this, DNA just is, and we must all dance to its music. That's it. That's the meaning of everything. Just laws, and we just dance to our like genetic makeup. But I got another book upstairs in the office by a Christian that you'll know uh, from Macintosh Place, uh, Dr. John Lennox. Heard of him? No? Oh, you must have. Yeah, mathematician. He's got some great books. And he debates people like Richard Dawkins about God and things like that. Anyway, in one of his books, he said to people crying out, like, is there more than just DNA? Is there a logic to any of me and who I am? Well, he wrote a book and he said, why does Aunt Matilda bake a cake? Like, yeah, Claire, you love it. Why does, why does Aunt Matilda bake a cake? Right, why? Not how, or the makeup of the cake, but why? And how do you know why? So he, anyway, he calls in a nutritionist, and they tell him about the calories in Aunt Matilda's cake. Then he calls in a biochemist who tells, tells him about the structure of the proteins in the cake. 
Then he calls in a physicist that talks about the particles in the cake and a mathematician that calls, gives the equation for the particles. But in the end he says, but why did Aunt Matilda make the cake? These things are falling short. Is there another reason? And he says, you have to ask Aunt Matilda. And it's because she was hungry or her family were hungry. So modern people for whom everything is just laws of nature, um, it doesn't quite go high enough. Like there's a logic, but it's coming from and pointing to the why, the laws, the logic. And if there are laws, who wrote them? Because laws need a writer. And if these laws are being upheld, who's enforcing them? And John's got all this in his mind as he's borrowing from Genesis chapter 1, where Moses talks about the word of God. And then he goes, day one. Day two. Day three. And he goes all the way up to day seven. Because the logic of everything is deeply linked to the word of God. And like there's the foundation of numbers are linked with this word and this logic. So, I don't know if you know this, or you might be bored to tears, but it will come, it should make sense in a minute. But the universe runs really mathematically. And congratulations, you do as well. And there are specific mathematical formula that describe, like, everything in the universe. And how can that be? How is it that you do not live in a completely chaotic or random universe and there are boundaries and order which can be predicted mathematically consistently with stability why from where is this logic and this word written into everything and to whom is it pointing upwards um, a few moments ago before you arrived I sort of heartily skipped off this stage grabbed this rail did a little skateboard kick and went out there and went to the toilet. And Richard Barrett said, careful. And what did he mean? Well, Richard had done a math sum when he watched me do my little jump over there. And he worked out that my weight versus the bracket there equals potential accident. And he gave a warning. So there's logic and meaning intricately linked into everything. There's a why to every mathematical equation that we do. Numbers give meaning and measurements and quantity and size and value to things and weight and age and cost and popularity and quantity. And there once was a man called Lord Byron. He was around in the 18th and 19th century and he wanted to live without logic and without rules. So he went around Europe in drunken chaos, having affairs with both men and women, and he tried to break all the logic and laws of God. And what did he hate? And he wrote down that he hated it. Well, I'll tell you. He hated maths. Numbers. Why? He said this, I would give anything to make it so that 2 plus 2 equals 5. But I can't. 
Because he knew there's an unchanging logic of maths which is deeply convicting. Because it points to rules given, not made up, given by the eternal living God that can't be altered by human beings. And he was deeply convicted by the simplest of mathematical equations, which is like, I'm living chaos, and there's this standard that I'm aware of above me and involved with, and I hate it, I want to break free. Because guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Um, You can't just make stuff up and get away with it. The whole universe testifies to it. We discover truth. We don't invent it. And in the book of Genesis and John's Gospel, Jesus is introduced as the logic, the logos. The very logic of the universe, the operating system of the entire cosmos. The unity behind all the diversity and complexity, and he became flesh. The Puritan Richard Baxter, when considering science and math, said this, nothing can be rightly known if God be not known. Nothing can be rightly known if God be not known, nor is any study well managed to any great purpose if God is not studied. We know little of the creature till we know it as it stands in relation to the Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a famous Jew. He was born in 20 BC and he died 50 AD. So who is he a contemporary of? Someone quite famous. Jesus. Philo the Jew. Here's his works. You can borrow it if you like. It's a whopper. He wrote commentaries on Genesis and Q&As on Genesis. And Philo was obsessed with this logic, the logos, the word. And he wrote this from Genesis 1 that John is borrowing from. This is the word, the logos of God. He is the first beginning of all things. The original pattern or the archetypal idea The first measure of the whole universe. And as he's writing that, he's getting really excited about this word that he's tracing through the books of Moses, who's going to come one day. And as he's writing those things, he's the archetypal idea of everything, and he's coming. Jesus was being born just up the road. That's why Philo's one of my favorites. He's studying this word and getting excited. And Mary's giving birth around the corner. And John says, and he's become flesh. So, philosophers have found the origin and reality of numbers to be one of the hardest puzzles of all. Yet, for Park End Church members, we see on the very first page of the Bible that the living God teaches us to add one to zero and then keep on adding one more number. And in other words, with the foundation of the universe, he gives the foundation of numbers and mathematics and everything else in between. Now, you already knew all that, didn't you? And you're going to go out and go, oh yeah, just follow Jesus. And then that's the purpose of this whole thing. It's just a slightly complex way of explaining it. The Word became flesh. In the next few weeks, 
we're going to see that this word, become flesh, could modify the operating system of the universe whenever he wanted. And out of one packed lunch, he could feed 5,000 people. When, uh, when he needed some money, a fish just coughed some up for him. He turned water into wine. He controlled the weather. He knew what people like us were thinking, and he cured all the diseases that he wanted. Because Jesus is the laws of nature, and he can alter them whenever he wants the Logos, as we wrap all of these things up, cannot be changed. And this is why it's convicting to any non-Christian listening. Because we are to conform to Him and His laws. That's what we're made for. And sin is living in utter chaos against Him. And in almost every area of the world that you see, from weather to trees to seeds to food to numbers... There is a calling back to Jesus that even numbers know about and that call us home. There's a standard and a word of God. Why is society falling apart the further we go from church and the Lord Jesus Christ? Because he is logic. And this place needs to be a place full of people that go like this. It makes no logical sense to sin we follow Christ, even when it's countercultural. Psalm 90, verse 12, is a prayer, and it says this Lord, teach us to number our days. Because, Lord, there's a day coming where you have measured and weighed us, and all of our lives have we followed the Christ, where everything we've done is exposed. And in fact, about 2,500 years ago, there was a big party, and a man called Belshazzar was in there. And suddenly, a strange hand appeared on the wall in Daniel chapter 5, and wrote some words, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parsin, which means, weighed, weighed, numbered, divided. And that day, or soon after, he was called to give an account before the living God. To wrap up, there was a famous program that we talked about in the Frameworks class once. I can't remember the name of it though. And the cameraman would show bits of someone's house, but not show the person. And you had to guess who the person was by looking at bits of their house. Little details. What was it? Through the keyhole. Through the keyhole. Well done. And uh, I think we should do it in one of our church meals. Everybody bring a photo of something on your wall and we have to guess whose wall it is. I think that would be fun. Or show us your kitchen or your curtains or something. If it's all Achille, you know it's Rita Batstone. Um, she loves that. Well, uh, basically in this program, it was like, once you see the person, you have this aha moment. That's why that curtain looks like that. Well, of course, I know her. It makes sense now. Or that's why they had that picture on the wall from that month, because this event happened to that person. Aha! All the little details in that little bit of creation make sense when we know who the person is. Oh, it makes logical sense now. Aha! And what is Park End Church? The members of this household are constantly to look around the house. All week long, people, animals, trees, work. And we go, aha, isn't our Jesus wonderful? The logic behind everything. Let's bring him glory. 
all week. Isn't it just like Jesus Christ to make trees the way he has done? Isn't it just like the Lord Jesus Christ to make a mustard seed die and then grow into something huge? Isn't it lovely that winter turns to spring? Aha, the logic of our God. Death turns to life. Where we remember that he came for us, he died for us, and he rises us up again. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. Jesus makes sense of everything. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.